This is a remote voice podcast. I'm Daniel Silva, and this is the 11th in a series of letters that I'm writing from Arnhem Land in Australia's Northern Territory. So there are photos, and um, I post these letters on my website, danielsilva.work, and I also post some of the other work that I'm doing here. And this week there was a big festival here in the town I live called Kapuwiak. And it was the first festival the town has ever had since it was established in 1969. So it was a milestone and it was, and it was really great. And um, I made some art with, some, with the kids at the school and other members of the community for the festival and that was a wonderful experience and I'll, I'm planning to write, in fact I've already started a, a project journal to describe that whole process but in the meantime, um, while that's still in the making, there are photos and um, what have you on the on the website so you can check them out. Otherwise... I think that's all to say by way of notes. Um, before I read this letter, just um, to let you know that it contains descriptions of hunting. And it's called Shame. On the day of my first hunt, I loaded into the back of a tall and boxy workhorse called a troopie. Almost always white, troopies have two and a half seats in the front and a pair of bench seats in the back. The bench seats run down the sides of the cab, so for passengers in the back of a troopie, the natural place to look is not the road ahead, but the person across the way. Across from me sat four men I'd never met, shoulder to shoulder, their eyes scanning. Their bodies rose and fell and shuddered with every bump in the road. Our eyes would meet and we'd smile, and after a few such instances, the man across from me spoke three words into the silent cab and everyone turned. Where are you from? he asked. It was an obvious question but I hesitated long enough to notice the wind brush the hairs on the back of my neck. I reached my hand to touch them and felt shame for not knowing what to say. I smiled apologetically. I needed more time. Suddenly the troopie braked hard and the bodies inside lurched sideways. Someone called out, Witty! We turned and saw a large wallaby hop across the road behind us. In a flash, one man handed another the rifle and he got out and took a few quiet steps to a nearby tree. By then, the wallaby was 40 metres away. The gun fired, louder than I expected. The wallaby jumped and a red mist stood where it had been. I raced towards the body with another man. When we got there, he made sure it was dead and looked for his knife. I had one in my pocket, so I handed it to him and he slit the animal's throat and told me to hold it up and let the blood. I gripped its tail, warm and muscular. 
I pulled back its head and the last of its life spilled on the floor. Then I laid it down, and the man removed its stomach and intestines and handed me back my knife. We were thrilled. At a river, we rested and washed the blood from our bodies. The wallaby was hung and butchered. Each man was given his portion and more to take home. We cooked on an open fire and ate in two small circles, carving the meat on flat stones and dabbing it in salt. As it was my first hunt, I was offered pieces of kidney and sections of bone containing sweet marrow, also the end of the tail. Where are you from? Someone asked. I wanted to say that I'm not from anywhere, but I didn't. We finished eating and washed again, then said words of thanks to the land. We'd need to find another animal to feed the families waiting at home, so we set off for a place known to Buffalo, one of which can feed five families for a week. The buffalo was pale grey with hints of blue and pink. Its horns grew straight out of its head, turning at their ends towards the sky. It took four bullets to bring it down. We approached the body with sharp knives and an axe and surrounded it like lions. We took turns and worked quickly to skin the hide. I used my hands to separate the muscles and make cuts along the seams of its rear leg. Beads of my sweat dripped into the flesh and mixed with warm, dark blood from a severed artery. At one point, I looked to the animal's head. I wanted to see its eyes, but they were glazed and lifeless, indistinguishable from flesh. Eventually, I managed to free the limb and hoisted it between my shoulder blades and carried it to the troopy. When the work was done, we sat in the cab, silent with exhaustion. The dusk light was golden and it lighted the four bodies across from me. I could see their bones and muscles. I could feel the warmth of their blood beneath my skin. I lowered my eyes to my legs, then lifted my head and looked in the eyes of the man opposite. Where are you from? I asked his eyes. Me? They blinked. Yes. He hesitated. The light was fading now, and his body was a shadow, but his eyes were bright, and some of that light seemed to come from inside. I spoke again this time with my eyes. Did you travel a long way? He didn't answer. I fell silent and flexed my hands. They were coated in dry blood. I squeezed my tired thighs. I was born in South Africa, I said. Though I grew up in Perth and more recently I lived in Sydney. His eyes listened. His body rose and fell and shuddered with every bump in the road. Truth is, I don't feel as though I'm from any of the places I've been, I continued. My great-grandparents left Eastern Europe early in the 20th century. I'm part of a language group called the Hebrews, destined forever to dwell in the lands of others. Soon we're going to stop and pray, he said, this time with his mouth. Okay, I said, but I needed more time. My eyes widened and moistened. My chest rose and tightened at the back of my throat. Through bated breath, I said, I know my ancestral stories and dreams. I read them and try to understand what they mean. His eyes were bright 
and some of that light was from the moon. When we got out to pray, I prayed for forgiveness. With love, Daniel. Okay. Well, what to say by way of postscripts? I'm speechless, actually. So I'm going to leave it there. And until next week.